This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Network. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Network does not take responsibility for the statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to Executive Leaders Radio. In this hour, you'll hear directly from our region's finest business leaders. Through each of the interviews, these high-achieving leaders become relatable role models who share how they were able to build their enterprise, their personal secrets of success, about leadership styles and opportunities that lie ahead. Prepare to be inspired and entertained and to hear wisdom unheard elsewhere. Executive Leaders Radio. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio, broadcast from Radio America. This is your host, Herb Cohen, with my co-host, Mark Haas, AEG, Association for Enterprise Growth, Drop Bomb Potomac Companies, Carrie Fox Mission Partners, and Gabe Muller-Muller Consulting. Uh, Mark, could you please give us a rundown on who we have on the air today, please? Sure, Herb. First, we have Alex Rutkovitz, COO of Cyber Choice Cybersecurity, Robin Kemper, President of ASCE, Carlos Alcazar, Managing Partner of Culture One World, and Linda Rabbit. Chair of Rand Construction. Let's get to know our first guest, Alex Rutkovitz, who's the COO of Choice Cybersecurity. Alex, what is Choice Cybersecurity? What are you guys doing? We simplify security and regulatory compliances like HIPAA and NIST for small to medium-sized businesses mm-hmm. through risk mm-hmm. assessments and additional services. And uh, where are you from originally? Born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland. How many brothers and sisters you got? One brother and one sister. Uh-huh. And what was going on with you as a kid with this babysitting? And how did you get engaged with babysitting? When I was nine years old, my world was flipped upside down. My sister came into the world six months after my mom's sister had triplets. And they just so happened to live next door. Go ahead. Keep going. I had to learn how to share everything from my grandparents to my toys to... Mm-hmm. And you took on responsibility with the triplets and your sister, didn't you? I did. I had to learn how to babysit at a young age so that I didn't have to go to the food store with a baby. Uh Uh-huh. So you had to learn how to babysit, but not one, but four. So what did you learn babysitting your cousin triplets and your sister all at the same time? I learned how to be a leader at a very young age and how to take on multiple responsibilities from many different angles. So you you had to figure out how to keep the four of them, who each of the four of them were, and how to keep each of the four of them happy but moving in the same direction, didn't you? Yeah, they all had very unique personalities, and I had to figure out how to entertain them and cultivate each one individually. What's that have to do with building a business? I have to do the same thing with my team today. Uh, You know, learn where each team member shines and help them grow in that area. I understand you have a partner in your business. Who is it? I do. My dad is my business partner. Uh, I understand the dad was in a previous business. And uh, whose idea was it to start this business together? It was his idea. He actually started a security and compliance division of his managed service provider business uh, about six years ago. How, y- how young were you when you started working in your father's previous business? I started showing interest at 10, 11 years old. What were you doing when you started working with your father's previous business? How were you helping him? Initially, it was just filing papers, organizing uh-huh. office supplies. And then you told us a story about the resumes at the age of 14. What was that all about when you became the human resources department? I interned at his company in the summers uh, to get experience in the IT industry. And one of my tasks was to review 
a stack of about 200 resumes with an exact list of criteria that he was looking for mm -hmm. and only supply him with 20 or less. Uh -huh. So uh, you were you were handling a wide variety of responsibilities in your dad's business when you were a kid. And what was this thing about Cisco and IT while you were in high school? I was a Cisco CCNA IT networking magnet in high school. I started in tenth and eleventh grade. So you were in, you 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 have IT information technology going through your blood, just like you have this management thing with your cousins and your sister. You're a combination of both, aren't you? I am. I love the IT world and that there's always something new to learn and it's always growing, changing, and evolving. Carrie? Alex, I'd love to go back to babysitting. How did that experience of babysitting lead you to be the COO of a cybersecurity company? It taught me leadership and responsibility that I couldn't have learned anywhere else. It taught me how to make decisions on the fly and handle things that you wouldn't expect, like injuries and other various child um, mm -hmm. things. things that would occur yeah. yeah who had the greatest influence on you as a child my grandmother my dad uh, my grandmother is just a very warm kind person um, she ran all the operations at home and had the ability to uniquely provide and take care of all of her kids and all of her grandkids very unique needs and then my dad just started from nothing and this is his third business and he's just really taught me to have an entrepreneurial spirit and that there's always room to grow. Alex, Sounds like you, you're an exception, exceptional mix of both of them. I try to be. What do you Alex, mean you try to be? I Everyone needs goals. Uh, there's always room for improvement. Uh, so what'd you get from your grandmother that you want to improve into and your, grand, and your dad? What was that again? My grandmother is very loving, very kind, very patient. Wait, 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 wait. What's that have to do with building a business? I don't understand how that has anything to do with a business. You fire people if they don't do the job right. You can't bring emotions into the office. It doesn't go well, typically, in my experience. She's always able to stay calm and collected in any situation, oh. and I really admire that. Oh, I see. Oh, okay, I stand corrected. Gabe? Alex, you mentioned uh, your mom was also an entrepreneur. What did, you, uh, what did she do? <coughs> She always had a business out of our house uh, where she was a makeup artist and an esthetician. And about 10 years ago, when my brother went to college, she decided to open a boutique in Pikesville, make her dreams come true. And how did that uh, affect you and what did you learn from that? It gave me a great wardrobe. It's only affected me in positive ways and shown me she's an incredible role model in a sense that she's always able to keep a happy home and provide for her family and then also run a successful business. She's an incredibly resourceful creature and is always able to find the right tool for her toolbox and something that I really admire. And so it sounds like the traits that, uh, that you learned through her you are applying within your organization today and how so? I definitely apply a lot of the things that I've learned from her. Uh, I'd say the biggest thing is that her team is very much like a family, and I really admire that and try to instill that in our business as well. Mark? Thinking about your best friend growing up, what are the characteristics that made that person your best friend? The most kind-hearted, giving person. Um, I met her when I was two years old, and she's still my best friend today. Um, what are the characteristics of the people you surround yourself with now and, and what are the people that, that you uh, look for at choice? So my personal life, it's the same. I look for very kind, giving uh, people to help 
uh, instill that in me mm -hmm. and try to make me a better person. Carrie? What sport did you do as a child? I horseback rode. So how did those skills translate into what you do today? It taught me how to take care of a very large animal at a young age, and it was a great way for me to escape all of the kids at home. <laughs> you had a lot of responsibilities at home, huh? Mm-hmm. So what's the best part of, uh, of being in business? Getting to work with my dad every day, getting to be my own boss, make my own hours, um, and primarily work on what I enjoy. What are you talking about, work on what you enjoy? What do you mean? I love solving business problems. Like what kind of problems? It's the router's broken? Is that a business problem? Usually, um, I love compliance and these complex situations that our clients get themselves into and understanding their problems in their entirety and being able to fix them. So wait, 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 wait. So you're not fixing a router or you're not making sure that the voice over IP circuit's working. You're getting involved in their business problems? That is where we shine, yeah. And then you're bringing technology solutions and other solutions to it? We're applicable. So you're, trying, you're helping them understand what the big picture is. That's our job to come in and conduct a risk assessment, understand where they are with relations to cybersecurity and their regulatory compliance goals, and then help them fix what's broken. So your middle name is Miss Thorough, isn't it? Definitely. Uh-huh. So this is really a matter of your understanding, you know, the people dynamics as well as all the IT stuff. I bring it all together every day. Uh-huh. Isn't that stressful? I think any business comes with its stressors, whether it's HR issues or client issues, but I try to find the positive and the silver lining in everything and just learn as much as I can and just keep improving. So you like, you, it's a challenge to you. What you're enjoying is the challenge. I do enjoy the challenge and I really enjoy. Wasn't that like horseback riding? I really enjoyed the challenge of horseback riding. What are you well. talking about? What's the similarity between horseback riding and building this business? There's always room to grow and improve. You think so? I mean, it comes to a point where, you know, the horse is just, you guys are just hanging out together, right? I think that Olympus athletes would disagree. Mm -hmm. So you're the type that does continuous improvement, isn't it? Yeah, that's where I get my jazz I just saw the, going. I just saw the smile on your face. What's the website address for Choice Cybersecurity? ChoiceCybersecurity.com. We've been speaking with Alex Rutkovitz, who is the COO of Choice Cybersecurity here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website. It's executiveleadersradio.com. Learn more about our executive leaders. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. And your name and organization is? Alexa Lopez with the American Society of Civil Engineers. And, and what do you do uh, with the American Society of Civil Engineers? I'm the Senior Manager of Public Affairs and Media Relations. So what does that mean? What are you doing there? I train our members, our civil engineers, how to talk to the media, and I help them with uh, their report card releases, and I write all the media materials for the society. And these are members that are in the United States? Yes. Are they around the world as well? They are. So you're helping your members internationally communicate with the media? Yes. Uh-huh. So wh where were you from originally? I'm from Dayton, Ohio. Dayton, Ohio. How many brothers and sisters? I have a younger brother. And what was going on in your childhood that laid the groundwork for what you're doing nowadays as the, as the media relations person for the American Society of Civil Engineers with 150,000 members? 
Uh, so when I was in grade school, I firmly remember the September 11th uh, terrorist attacks, mm-hmm. and I uh, that had a big effect on me. I was constantly watching um, the news and all the media surrounding it, and that kind of got me to I want to be involved in that process. What do you mean you wanted to be involved in that process? What are you talking about? Um, I wanted to be on the other side um, reporting on breaking news, um, showing uh, the world what's going on, um, digging deeper into the stories um, and to the investigations going on. That really motivated you, 9-11? Yes, it was one of the, the major um, the major things that motivated me to want to be in a media relations role. Huh, wow. What's the website address of your organization? Uh, it is... ASCE.org. Let me have that again. ASCE.org. ASCE.org. And it's the American Society of Civil Engineers, correct? And your name again is? Alexa Lopez. And your role there? As Senior Manager of Public Affairs and Media Relations. Excellent. We'll be back in a moment right after this break. Perfect. We nailed it. That's exactly. And your name is? I'm Tina Leone. I'm the CEO of the Boston Business Improvement District. And what is the Boston Business Improvement District? We work to attract, support, and connect the most compelling, creative, and ambitious minds in our region. Boston is known as an epicenter for research and discovery. Uh, Some of the greatest things that are invented, such as the MRI, the barcode, the internet, the first satellite, all were either conceived, funded, or developed by organizations here in Boston. How, how old is this organization? We're just, just shy of six years old. How long have you been there? How long have you been uh, there? Almost six years as well. Did you found this organization? Yes, I, I am the founding CEO. Why, why'd you do that? Well, the, the, the organization actually came about uh, by the commercial property owners in why, Boston. Why, why, why does it turn you on? Why does your gig turn you on? <laughs> people. I mean, we the, the, the ability to connect people and then who knows the next great idea is going to result from that. We have incredible minds in the Washington, D.C. area, and Boston is, as I said, the epicenter for the smartest people in this area. So your job, you're like the master connector. I feel like the mayor of, of Boston, the mayor of innovation, because that's uh-huh. what's happening. So your idea, your, your thought is, in order to create more stuff, in order to launch more businesses, in order to cause more good, it's a matter of connecting exactly. the right people. Exactly. And you like being in the middle of all that uh, stuff. Oh, we love it. We love it. And simple things, just connecting people through events through art uh, through a happy hour mm-hmm. you don't know what's going to come out of that mm-hmm. that's what's exciting so it's all about the people and you're the uh, you're the founder of this organization is this a nine to five kind of job oh, for you? hell no it's a lot longer uh-huh. than that baby so do you have to you have to work the weekends and stuff yeah, like that sure sure let me have the website address of this sure, organization bid.com and, and you can download boston connect mobile app let me have uh, let me have that website address one more bostonbid.com it's B-A, give me the spelling on that. B-A-L-L-S-T-O-N-B-I-D.com. Excellent. Your name again is? Tina Leone. And the name of the organization? Is the Boston Business Improvement District. And this has been your Business Spotlight back in a moment. We're back. You're listening to Executive News Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen. We'd like to introduce Robin Kemper, president of the American Society of Civil Engineers. Robin, what is the American Society of Civil Engineers? What are you guys doing? It's a volunteer member professional organization with 150,000 members worldwide in 90% of the countries. And how long have you been involved with this organization? Uh, Halfway through college, around 1978. And is this your full-time job? Absolutely not. We're all volunteers. My full-time job is as a uh, risk engineer for Zurich North America, a construction insurance company. All right, so this is, you're the volunteer president of the American Society of Civil Engineers. And where are you from originally? 
Well, I was born in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, but I've been in uh, England, Bolivia, and most of my growing in Capital District, upstate New York. So you lived as a kid in Tennessee, England, Bolivia, and New York. That's um, <clears throat> that's pretty diverse. What what, what do you think that uh, Tennessee, England, Bolivia, and New York did to you in terms of your being? It gave me a world vision, a global vision. Um, my dad's work did too. We always met people from around the world. So it helped me understand that there are different people out there, different cultures, and you have to work differently uh, depending on where people come from. Has that had any effect on your building this organization to 150,000 members? Absolutely. I mean, we, like I said, we are a global organization, so we have members from all different types of cultures and backgrounds and different interests. Mm -hmm. Carrie? How did you learn to adapt to the change of all of those moves? I just was very good at adapting. Uh, I never made strong friendships, so it wasn't like, oh my goodness, I'm leaving my friends. Uh, and I always enjoyed the adventure. And Robin, who was the greatest influence on you as a child? I would say my mother first and then my father. And why? Well, my mother was my best friend, so, <laughs> so when we moved, uh, she moved with me. I could tell her anything. I know that was very different and unusual, but she was. And then my dad, he's a uh, nuclear physicist uh, engineer, and that's where I ultimately ended up was in engineering. Mm -hmm. Robin, okay. is there a particular, uh, of all the places that you've been, uh, culture that you really gravitated towards and that you really uh, apply today, the lessons you learned from there? I would say Bolivia because I was 16, so those were formative years, and I wanted an experience that was so different from the U.S., and it was, and I didn't expect it to be, and so I was really thrilled. And I tended to take leadership roles even if it was uh, indirect, and I remember some of them at that time. And if I recall, you said in the green room that uh, you were in Bolivia for one year, correct? Correct. And uh, if it's, uh, and I believe you said that uh, you're still in contact with those individuals today that you met there. Right. The other students from the U.S. who are in my city, Cochabamba, uh, we just had a 45-year reunion last weekend. So it seems like you have an incredible sense of loyalty. Uh, where does that come from? I think that's my family upbringing. Uh, I've been told I'm too loyal at times, especially when it comes to business, but that's just part of who I am. And how's that helping you build this organization of 150,000 people, this loyalty? Because it's about the people, and you have to be loyal to them and try and help them get to be where they need to be mm -hmm. as a More? profession. How do you approach challenges? I approach them head on. I'm very direct. Uh, I recently put together a presentation. We had some leadership training because we really need uh, some change in uh, the presentation was on change and it's very hard but it's extremely necessary mm -hmm. this uh, you mentioned the triangle you figure your life's like a triangle what was that all about my life is truly an equilateral triangle it's my family my career and ASCE and I'm always focusing on uh, one of those at any given time mm -hmm. Robin it sounds like you balance a very full life between those three what in your childhood helped you to learn that scale of balance my mother uh, and my father both, but particularly my mother was a great manager, organizer. Uh, so I don't know whether I learned them from her or how much I happened from natural skills, but I'd say I'm a pretty darn good manager. I'm hopefully a good leader. Mm -hmm. Robin, I want to go back to uh, Mark's uh, comment around challenge, challenges, challenges, that is. And uh, how young were you when your friends started coming to you to help solve their challenges? At least in high school. I'm not sure if it was earlier, uh, in particular in Bolivia. 
Like what? What would they come to you for? Why were they coming to you? Uh, there were six of us, and we were with different families. And at one point, they wanted to move us to new families, but I had just arrived. I was the last one to arrive. So one person was having troubles with her family. So I spoke to the Rotarian uh, in charge of us, and I suggested that they just move her, not all of us. And he asked where, and I said, your house. So you, you were coming up with rather direct uh, ideas uh, and improvements as a young girl and you know you put yourself right into the middle of all the problems I mean you like solving problems don't you definition of an engineer and, and you also mentioned that you know you were involved you, you were like on the fringe of a lot of groups as opposed into into the center of the groups which is sort of interesting because you're running this organization of 150,000 people I'm wondering how you're being on the fringes as opposed to the middles affecting your building this organization well, because you're the the middle group was usually the most popular people, so I obviously wasn't the most popular, but that helped you see everybody else even clearer. Ah, so you think the key to building the organization is understanding the 150,000 members and figuring out what they need and want, as opposed to me, 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 me. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mark, what else you thinking? So, you know, growing up, uh, how would people define you? then versus now how have you changed how are you a different person or are you the same exact same person I think I'm pretty much the same person uh, in fact I was unaware of it uh, I thought uh, my volunteerism came from my mother and when I was older and I just found out last weekend that no they knew I was volunteer per type person back in high school and I was like okay I didn't know that <laughs> mm -hmm. so people who knew you as a child would recognize pretty much the same traits yes Robin, you mentioned uh, your mother there. Uh, what did your mother think of you? We had a wonderful relationship. She passed a couple of years ago. Uh, like I said, we, we were great friends. Uh, she was my mentor. Uh, she was the volunteer. She did not work for pay, but she did an awful lot of things. And she had the perseverance. She was a, uh, ultimately became a master in uh, duplicate bridge, and that taught me how to persevere. When challenges have come, you have to keep working at them. Hmm. When challenges come, you have to keep working at them. So how's that, how's that apply to building this nonprofit organization? Very much so, because we are a, a board of directors. So as presidents, you don't really have a lot of power. It's more trying to uh, build consensus to get to the direction you're trying to go. And it doesn't always work. So you keep at it. In fact, I ran once before for president. I did not win. The next year I ran again and I did win. So you don't it's not you don't have absolute power necessarily. It's a matter of understanding how to get everybody on the same page and influence. That is correct. Huh. But that could be awfully frustrating and get you angry and you can scream and yell a lot, right? I have my moments. Uh-huh. But you privately but, or with my husband. So but you I guess I guess you learned that uh, to get everybody on the same page, it really takes a lot of understanding of all the different types of people. And I guess people listen to you because you really do take an interest in the wider group, don't you? I hope they listen to me, but yes, I really do care and I really am trying all I can to help make a positive difference. Mm -hmm. Mark, what else are you thinking there? I'm really looking forward to reading your autobiography. Okay. <laughs> um, have you picked a title for the chapter between the ages of eight and 14? Uh, no, but let's talk about doing it my way. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's a good that's a good title. Uh huh. What well, what's the best part of your job? 
I get to look at so many different projects and people are uh, at work and and the same thing really with ASE. I get to meet so many different people and it's all about the people. That's what it is. Well, wait a minute. You were just talking about you take an interest in the projects, but then you mentioned about the people. So make up your mind. Which is it? What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, for ASE, it's all about the people. It's all about the people. What do you think of Mark? So what do you think your legacy is going to be when you depart from the presidency? Thank God she's gone. No, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, one thing I'm working on is we're looking at our code of ethics, which I care very much about. And uh, last time we looked at it was 73, and we're looking at it uh, as if we never had one. So what would a new code look like? So if that gets passed, that would be well, very code of ethics, legacy. how everybody's going to conduct themselves, how the, how the organization's going to operate. Correct. So you like you you believe in you have very deep principles, don't you? Yes. Mm hmm. Um, that's cool. What's what's the website address of this organization known as the American Society of Civil Engineers? Just asce dot org. Let me have that again. Asce dot org. Asce dot org. Okay. For the American Society of Civil Engineers, we've been speaking with Robin Kemper, President, American Society of Civil Engineers, here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website. It's executiveleadersradio.com. To learn more about our executive leaders, we'll be back in a moment, right after this break. And your name is Ramon Parker. And Ramon, the name of the organization? Loudon Free Clinic. And you were telling me there's some, something special about the Loudon Free Clinic where every dollar that goes in does something else. What was that all about? Yeah, it does something magical. So for every dollar that's donated to our clinic, we can deliver $8 worth of care. And what kind of clinic is this? Who are, you, who are you helping out? What kind of stuff do you guys do? So we're helping out those who are 18 to 64 who are uninsured and low income, 200% or below the federal poverty level. And give me this thing about the math again. Give me how that works. So essentially, I have a, a staff of 12 individuals and 128 volunteers. So with that kind of payer mix, I'm able to deliver you know, anywhere from $8 uh, in care for our patients. Because you've been able to enroll the support of so many volunteers, you're actually keeping the cost of health care down and therefore multiplying the dollars. And making one of, the, one of the best business investments for private corporations who want to invest. And didn't, ah, interesting. So private businesses and individuals can get involved. And didn't you Absolutely. tell me you had a couple of health care challenges yourself? What were they? I have. I've had four open heart surgeries, and mm -hmm. it helps me to understand what patients need. What are you talking about? What do you mean? So the idea of having been on the table or being a patient, I'm able to take a patient focus in how we deliver care differently than most people would. What did you, what did you learn from those experiences personally? What do you appreciate that most of us don't? I appreciate consistency. Um, I think that a, a staff at the hospital, nurses, providers, mm -hmm. parents, mm -hmm. family, all those people consistently being around me and consistently offering me hope. Uh, I'm so full of it that I have to offer that to the patients and to the staff when I'm working with them. What's the website address for the Loudon Free Clinic? Loudonfreeclinic.org. Let me have that one more time. L-O-U-D-O-U-N freeclinic.org. We've been speaking with your name again? Ramon Parker. And this has been your Business Spotlight. Thank you. This is John Schuhart. Join us, joining us for our Business Spotlight is Barry File. Who are you with, Barry? I'm with Celebrate Fairfax, a yeah. 501c3 nonprofit in Fairfax, Virginia. And what do you do with uh, Celebrate Fairfax? I am very fortunate to be the president and CEO of the organization. So what does Fairfax, or excuse me, Celebrate Fairfax do? We have a mission to celebrate Fairfax County and its communities. We serve the 1.1 million people who live in the county and all, as well as all the people who uh, visit and work there. So uh, what do you enjoy about working at Celebrate Fairfax? 
It is the best job in the world. It is. We come to work every day, my team and I, and we get to prepare and plan and produce events for 75,000, 100,000 people, and we treat them like, we think of them like, like they're our, our friends. So, so we get to come in and, and just plan great events for them. What makes those events so special? We try to be unique uh, within this region especially, but we're always trying to stretch the envelope of what people expect from events. People go to events because they want to have great experiences. And for us, we are always trying to give them that return on investment because they're not giving us necessarily a lot of money when they come to our events, but they are giving us their time and their energy. And that's an important thing. People want that ROI back. So did you ever think you'd be doing this when you were a kid? No, never. I, I think that when I was a kid, I, I was... I was building things, designing things, and somewhere along the line I fell into events and realized that it was a natural extension for me, that I just loved producing things. So what was it about being a kid that led you to this? Um, I think that it was just the challenges that were there. I always tried to figure out solutions to problems that didn't exist, and uh, that's what we do now. It's, it's the same principle. So when did you first start overcoming big challenges as a kid? Uh, I think I always was. I think that uh, I lived in a household with two older kids, parents who had their own things going on, and I think for me, I just always uh, tried to find my own way. What's your website? Our website is celebratefairfax.com. This is John Schuart, and this has been your Business Spotlight. We're back. You're listening to Executive News Radio. This is your host, Kirk Cohen. We'd like to introduce Carlos Alcazar, managing partner, Culture One World. Carlos, what's Culture One World? Culture One World is an integrated communications agency that focuses on cross-cultural populations, hard-to-reach populations around the country. We work with clients like the 2020 Census, Amtrak, uh, Department of Transportation. Our job is really to build communications campaigns, advertising, marketing, digital campaigns that reach people in the communities that they live in that normally are very hard to reach and engage with. Who do you know that had to straddle uh, communities when you were a kid? Wasn't that your mom? My mom definitely straddled both my f- mother and father as immigrants from Mexico but came, came to Los Angeles uh, and integrated. My mother uh, herself, as uh, the CEO of our home, had to figure out how to raise four children in a bicultural environment, although we lived in a very white middle-class neighborhood. So this really shaped you growing up in a white middle-class neighborhood back in those days. There must have been some interesting challenges so you became very sensitive to the cultural issues, which is really what you're doing nowadays, helping your clients uh, be sensitive to the cultural issues and gain commitment, yes? That's exactly right. I think the experiences that I got and learned from both of my parents was how to navigate between all of those cultures. Uh, with my father, it was learning about his roots in Mexico uh, and, and for coming from a different level of society, and my mother Whose, kid, whose family lived in another part of Los Angeles that was much more Latino-focused. So I got an opportunity to learn a lot more about what it's like to have that immigrant experience living in an immigrant community, which uh, is very different than where I was living. How many brothers and sisters do you have? I'm the oldest of four. And what kind of sports were you playing as a kid? Well, I was uh, playing. I was, I was on my skateboard. I'd surf. Uh, and then I would play organized team sports what like was your football. Favorite, what was your favorite sport? Football? I think football was my favorite team sport that I was playing for And sure. what was your role in the team? Uh, I was the quarterback. From what age to what age? Well, I was doing that from the time uh, we could get out on the field. And I was probably seven years old when I started playing football. Until when? I stopped at 15. So you were the quarterback. What personality trait was that? I think that was the trait of uh, being able to organize the team 
to make decisions on the fly, to lead, and uh, to be able to give opportunities for others on the on the field to, to shine. Does that have anything to do with this organization, Culture One World? <laughs> I think it has a lot to do with it. I think it's uh, it's uh, leading a team uh, and handing off, passing, and uh, running the ball whenever I thought it was it's the right time and to do it. Give everybody else credit. That's right, mm-hmm. Carrie. What clubs did you participate in as a child? Well, I was in the Boy Scouts of America uh, as, a, as a child. And how long did you do that? Well, I did that from the time I was about six or seven to 15, 14. Great. Um, what adults had the greatest influence on your life growing up? I think both my uh, my father had the greatest influence, but my mother also influenced my, my growing up. Tell me a little more about the, the traits that your dad had. Well, my father was a renaissance man of sorts, uh, had a great background uh, doing a number of things, uh, grew up as a musician, a poet, uh, started his own advertising agency, and uh, really just excelled. You uh, mentioned earlier when we were speaking that your father had a reputation of being respected. That's right. And my Why fa- is that so important to you? Oh, it's, it, it, uh, it's really important to me. Because I know it's really important. I saw it in your face. Why? Yeah. It's important to me because it, it, I feel like he had passed a mantle along to me to say, What are you talking about this. he passed the mantle along well, to you? Well, you know, he, he had leadership qualities in the community. They, my father had a radio program that he would do live. And many of the new immigrants that came to the United States would tune in to hear him every week. And they were inspired by him. And you know this. I do. Did you listen to that program? I did. Uh-huh. And how's that affecting you nowadays, this respect for your dad? Well, I think it it inspired in me a responsibility for doing something that was socially important, not just something that was creating a business, but creating a business that added value to the community, and that was really important for me. Something I learned from that part of my father. I believe you too, Carrie. Where else you want to go? It sounds like you're an exceptional set of parents. Tell me a little more about your mom and what most people didn't know about your mom. Well, I think the thing that my my mother did is come from a very challenging and tough uh, background. Uh, and a tough family environment uh, in terms of the neighborhoods where they had to grow up and live. And I think that what is probably most admirable part of her is having raised then four children in a completely different environment from that, not close to her family, rather a a neighborhood that was very middle class and very white. Carlos, uh, what trait do you think that you have uh, received from your mother, and, and how do you apply today? You know, I think it's the ability to be able to be thrown into a a culturally diverse environment and be able to uh, almost be chameleon-like and learn and know how to respect others, but also how to be able to communicate and engage with them. So it sounds like she really was, uh, she had the adaptability trait, and it sounds like you apply that today. Um, Tell us about your siblings. You've mentioned that you have a great sense of uh, ability to inspire people. How did you inspire your siblings? I think I inspired them by making all the mistakes known to man and having them laugh at me for it uh, and learn from that. So, uh, you know, I think that they saw me taking risks, I think, and uh, making those mistakes and then probably learning from them. You had a a very rich opportunities growing up. Is there some opportunity or experience that you didn't get to participate in as a child that you have been able to capture as an adult? You know, the, the only opportunities that I didn't get a chance to to, to uh, take advantage of is music. I think that I would have really liked to have pursued something uh, in music, and I didn't appreciate that until I got older. But, and of course, 
and it's when I got older that I realized that that was a great influence on my father's life as well. And so there was some family background with the history of in, of music, and I just never got a chance to do that. Really wish I could. Do you have Do you have an opportunity now, or do you play an instrument, or do you, what kind of music do you enjoy? I listen to all kinds of music now, and I think that's uh, that that's probably because of that uh, appreciation for mm-hmm. for music. But mm-hmm. don't play it. How you, How young were you when, you when you started making money, Carlos? I was the grand old age of six months when I started making money. All right, tell us the story. All right, so I uh, actually started in my money-making career as an actor, and I was modeling baby shoes. My father's advertising agency had a national shoe store chain, and I became the baby boy that, uh, until the age of 14, would model their shoes on all of their commercials. Until the age of 14. So how do do you think that affected you? How do you think that affected your self-esteem, being the model for these shoes, until from six months to 14 years of age? I hid that from everybody I knew. I didn't want anyone at school to know that I was doing that kind of stuff. You're I was, kidding me. No, I was on Spanish-language television throughout the country. So I was uh, well-known in the Latino community, but, of course, the neighborhoods that I grew up in, nobody knew any of that. Nobody watched those channels, so they didn't know that I would do that. At that point in time, it didn't seem like a big deal to me to be an actor. So as opposed to bragging to everybody or thinking you're a hot dog, you just put it aside. To this day. Uh-huh. Uh, so you have a deep inner confidence, de- a pride. Absolutely. What do you mean? Deep inner confidence and pride? Yeah. Well, I have a lot of pride because I've come from, uh, from a family that's been full of challenges. Uh, myself, growing up in an environment that was somewhat challenging, navigating amongst a variety of cultures. Los Angeles is not... Uh, not always an easy place to grow up in if you're a Latino immigrant. Uh, now it's changed, but back in the 60s and 70s, it was a little different. And so it, it instilled in me now a sense of pride of who I've become. Uh, did you know your grandparents? I did. Uh, your grandparents were born in Mexico. Correct. Did they come also to the United States? One of my grandfathers was, my grandfather was born in Spain, uh, and his my grandmother was born in Mexico, the other two also born in Mexico. What do you, so how do you think you'd feel if you knew what you were up to nowadays? I, I, I'm sure that m- my grandparents would be thrilled to death to know that I'm here in Washington, D.C., dedicating my life to do something for the Latino immigrant community. What are you talking about? What do you mean? Well, I, I don't think that they ever imagined that they would have a grandchild that would come to the center of power in the world here in Washington, D.C., and decide to combine a business with something that was designed to improve the quality of life of Latinos throughout their communities, including someone like them, had they been. And, and how, old, how, how young was your wife when she decided she wanted to marry you? <laughs> she was eight years old when she was watching a television commercial, and mm-hmm. I would come on and she would run to the television knowing the mm-hmm. jingle. Uh-huh. And she would come and say, One day I'm going to marry that kid. Eight years old. Huh? What's the website address for Culture it, One World? It's cultureoneworld.com, and it's all spelled out. Cultureoneworld.com. We do with Carlos Alcazar, managing partner of Culture One World here on Executive Leaders Radio. Don't forget to visit our website. It's executiveleadersradio.com to learn more about our executive leaders. Executiveleadersradio.com. We'll be back in a moment right after this business spotlight. And your name is? Kirsten Holmes. And Kirsten, what organization are you with? Keepers Staffing. And what does Keepers Staffing do? So we are a staffing agency um, providing talent acquisition. What's, what's that mean? What are you talking about? Um, for our clients, uh, we yeah. 
fill positions for them um, or provide temporary assistance. So you're helping businesses get people. We are. Uh huh. How do you know what a business needs? That goes with meeting our clients. Um, we believe in face-to-face -face, uh, meetings, conversations, so really digging so deep. So you're meeting with your clients? Yep, I am. And when you're talking with them, do they always know what they need? No. <laughs> so don't. you're helping them define what they need. Yes. And sometimes is what they need, uh, what they think they need a little different than what you think they need? Yes. Do you tell them that? <laughs> I do, uh -huh. actually I do. Uh, so you wanna make sure you're clear before you get a job order. Yes, uh -huh. absolutely. And uh, then what do you do? Well, uh, we create that business relationship um, with them. We're really matchmakers, if you will, mm -hmm. um, trying to find them the talent that they're looking for to make their lives easier. Mm -hmm. So then you're going through databases and making calls and doing all that. Kind of, or actually, it's your people that are doing that, right? Yeah, my team. Yep. So what's your role in the business? I am the manager of the branch in Alexandria. So let's see. So you're meeting with clients and you're also helping the recruiters recruit. Yep, so I do that as well. So you've got a clever side to you. You know all the tricks <laughs> of the trade. <laughs> I guess you can say uh, that. <laughs> what's the best part of your job? Um, really, the people. Um, I love my team. Um, being a leader is very important to me. What's the best part about being a leader? What do you like about leading? Um, I really like being that uh, motivator um, you know, for my team and for our, our associates, which is our mm -hmm. staff. Well, that's interesting. So you're not yelling and screaming at people, huh? No. What's the website address of this organization? It's keepersstaffing.com. Let me have that one more time. Keepersstaffing.com. And your name is? Kirsten Holmes. And this has been your business spotlight. One help building your business with help from the show's CEOs. Our CEOs can help you uncover more opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that, succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. And some are available to advise you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. The same CEOs you've heard on the show for 10 years may be willing to help you build your business, uncover new opportunities, grow your sales, connect you, help you raise money, all the big issues because our CEOs have been there and done that. Succeeding in creating millions of jobs and earning millions of dollars. Some of the CEOs who have appeared on our shows over the last 10 years may be willing to help you grow, assuming you've ser you're serious about your success, serious about your own success, because it all starts with the leader. If you're serious about creating your own successful business or truly committed to putting your nose to the grindstone and doing whatever it takes to make your business successful, we may be able to match you with successful CEOs who have created millions of jobs and earned millions of dollars to help you create your success. We've established unique relationships with a unique universe of over 7,000 CEOs who have created substantial wealth for their companies, their teams, and themselves. These women and men get the build in their blood and often continue to start and build businesses even after they've created substantial wealth for themselves because they love the challenge of building a business. Perhaps we can present you and your business to some of these CEOs to gain their interest in helping you. Now, email mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. That's mentors at executiveleadersradio.com to hopefully match you with some of the CEOs we've had on the show for the last 10 years. Mentors at executiveleadersradio.com. We're back. You're listening to Executive Leaders Radio. This is your host, Herb Cohen, and we'd like to introduce Linda Rabbit, Chairman of Rand Corporation. Linda, what is Rand Corporation? What are you guys doing? Rand Construction Corporation is a, we are builders that's, who specialize in commercial buildings, interior buildings, 
In other words, construction for tenants. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of revenue you guys do last year? Uh, we came close to $400 million. $400 million. How'd you get a job with this company? I founded it. You, f- you founded this $400 million business. And, and um, were you married or single when you started this business? I was single. You were single when you started this business. Did you have any kids? Yes, I had two daughters the ages three and two. Two daughters ages three and two, and were you aware that most businesses fail? Well, that wasn't the focus right then. My focus was um, never to fail. I didn't have an option. Uh-huh. Well, you could have gotten a job. Uh, I did have a job before I started this construction company with KPMG. But why, why, why was it not an option? Why were you so driven? Because I needed to uh, rear two children in the way that I had grown up, and I was committed and devoted to that. And you just you're just going through a difficult marriage, if I remember correctly. Yes, I went through a very difficult marriage where I was an abused spouse. You were an abused spouse. Yes. So you started a business uh, as an abused spouse that's grown to four hundred million dollars. What what's the connection between an abused spouse and building a business of four hundred million dollars? I wanted to prove my, that I was worthy. What are you talking about? Well, my ex-husband didn't think I was worthy, and I, my father did. So I wanted to get back to the place where I was respected, and my brain was respected, and the way I conducted myself was respected. How, how, did, your, how did your dad uh, respect you? What are you talking about? Uh, when I was young, my father would take me on Saturdays to uh, job sites that he oversaw. He was a Um, an engineer with Chrysler Corporation and he would show me die model operations and he'd say you see this Linda this is five eighths of an inch off you can never be five eighths of an inch off good enough is never good enough so you picked up from dad that you know you could really hang out and you understood you got confidence from dad. what was going on with mom when you were a little girl the the 8 to 14 uh, I was living her vision of how she thought my life should be. I, she took me to endless lessons, ballet, singing, tennis, swimming, skiing. So I was being trained for something. Uh-huh. So were you great at all those different things? No, <laughs> I certainly wasn't. I, but it, it gave me an opportunity to sort out what I was good at and what I wasn't good at. But didn't you find it crippling that you weren't great at certain things and your mother wanted you to be perfect? No, nobody's great at everything. I just wanted to know what I could be great at. So I guess the benefit of you taking all those different lessons is that you develop some self-confidence. I did. Uh Uh-huh. But yet you really wanted to please at the same time. Yes, I did have self... As a child, I had a lot of self-confidence, but I also had a fatal flaw, which was the disease to please. And so I very much wanted to please my parents, particularly my father. And um, and that's one of the reasons, uh, because you married a man, that uh, you wanted to please him, but it, well, he wasn't your dad. Yes, and he took adv- he took advantage of my disease my disease to please your disease to please Carrie. And uh, around town, you are so well revered as a women leader, a woman leader, and you have inspired so many other women leaders. What women in business inspired you early on? Well, there were very few uh, women in business. There were some women who were in and out of politics, you know, in staff posi- positions. There were some women in middle management um, uh, 
corporations, but there were very, very, very few women I, I could model myself after. How old were you when you first started making money? Twelve. Doing what? I was a babysitter. In the green room, you told us a little bit about how you kept winning clients because you were nicer to the neighborhoods, neighborhood kids. How did that trait affect you as a business leader? Um, I think that part of the way I built Rand Construction is because superintendents, people in the field actually doing the building, thought that I treated them more respectfully than anyone else had ever treated them. Linda, you mentioned uh, you have the disease to please, which came from your mother. Tell us about the relationship that your mom and uh, dad had. Um, so my mother was 20 years younger than my father, and he really didn't respect her as a homemaker. I mean, he, he respected me more than he respected my mom because I came home with A's, and I got great grades, and I could make him very proud. And how did that make you feel, and how did that... How was the dynamic between the family? The dynamic was that I learned from my mother how she coped with her situation, which was she built great networks of friends. That was her safety net. And I learned from my father, who was uh, German, and um, I was born just after the war, and, you know, he had a very thick German accent. And that was uncomfortable for him. But what I learned from him was if you're really excellent at something, you know, people will see beyond whatever their image is to find your excellence. And how is that showing up in your organization today in the role that you play? Well, I have many networks of friends in all different parts of this community, which I I truly enjoy and I truly um, am proud of. And... I think Rand Construction is excellent, and I preach that every single day. Mark? So is there a particular family story that uh, was told or that you recall that reflects who you are? My father um, loved for me to bring home, as I said, good grades and trophies. And when I was a Girl Scout, I, I... was on in summer camp and they played some game I don't remember what the game was but I won this ribbon that was uh, on the ribbon was eagle eye I found whatever it is that nobody else could find and after that every time he would tease me he would say okay eagle eye go do whatever what he really meant was he thought that he I could see things other people couldn't see I could see around corners I I could get where other people couldn't get was it was that pleasurable for you to, to have that connection with him? Absolutely, Carrie. And, and what about uh, you know now? Are there stories that that people at Rand tell about you that reflects who you are accurately? So the stories outside of Rand, because I'm the only woman who owns a construction company, are you know she must be a marketing bimbo. She's got to be a witch with a B. But inside Rand, it's where my actual teaching skills. Um, came through. And I, my great joy is to help other people find their skills, their true north, their success. Gary? Linda, you started this company when your daughters were three and two. How do you hope your daughters see you now? Well, I certainly hope they see me as a role model. I hope they see me as someone who never sacrificed my ambition um, for that, you know, never sacrificed them for my ambition. I, I hope they learn from me that doing well and doing good can both happen at the same time. So tell me, as a role model, what are the 
elements of that that you that you you hope they pick up I hope they're as good a mom as I tried to be to them and I hope they're as good a community minded person as I was in our community and I hope that they um, leave something anything an organization a thought a child a situation better than they found it hmm what, what uh, elements of philanthropy uh, or directions, either past, present, or future, are important to you? Well, because I, of my experience as a battered wife, I tend to support organizations that help women. Um, I do m- much of my work in, for organizations that help women, either breast cancer or battered women or anything that's woman-oriented. Linda, if we were doing a good interview, what else should we be asking you? What are we missing here? I think you did a great interview. (laughs) Why? Um, Because I think it's really hard for those of us who are so proud and come from proud, successful families to admit that we had a failure. And it took me a long time to admit that. But I've unleashed so much good in other people by saying those things. Yeah, that's what Carrie was telling me earlier. What was it? What's her reputation? Revered. Mm-hmm. What's the website address of this organization known as the RAND Constru- of RAND Construction? RANDCC.com. Let me have that one more time. RANDCC.com. We've been talking with, uh, we're speaking with Linda Rabbit, chairman of RAND Construction here on Executive Leaders Radio. Mark, can you run down who else we've had the opportunity of speaking with today? Sure. We had Alex Rutkovitz, COO of Choice Cybersecurity. Robin Kemper, president of ASCE, Carlos Alcazar, managing partner of Culture One World, and Linda Rabbit, chair of RAND Construction. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, including Mark Haas, Association for Enterprise Growth, Joe Applebaum, Potomac Companies, Carrie Fox, Mission Partners, and Gabe Muller, Muller Consulting, for giving me a hand structuring the questions, hopefully providing our listening audience a, an educational and an entertaining show like to thank our listening audience for listening. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a radio show. Don't forget to visit our website. It's executiveleadersradio.com to learn more about our executive leaders. That's executiveleadersradio.com. To learn more about our executive leaders, we do thank you for joining us today and do have a nice day. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in. You've been listening to Executive Leaders Radio, the region's premier radio show highlighting local executive leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the show here on 1500 AM. You can learn more about Executive Leaders Radio by visiting executiveleadersradio.com or tune in next time right here on 1500 AM. That's executiveleadersradio.com.